So anybody, you don't have to raise your hand, but thank like anybody have something crummy happen to them or reveal bad news this week? We'll see if this works. Any any bad news this week? So I know one of the bad news before is uh, eh, that's my uh, is how often you get really bummed when you drop your phone and you crack your phone. For the first time, probably in a decade, a little bit more, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yep, I was playing tennis, and I have some short pockets on these one pair of pants, and out it goes. I actually, it dropped, and I was still hit, but like, oh, all right, there it goes. I drop my phone all the time, and it very rarely cracks. I'm like, technology is getting better. Um, then I left it there on the courts. My team, we had to go leave to play a match in St. Joe. I forgot my phone right there, which wasn't a huge deal. Sarah, Sarah was checking my location, like, why is he still in Savannah? Uh, and so then I get back after a kind of a tough match, and I pick up my phone, I'm like, oh, no, it's cracked. Which is like, uh, honestly, I think you can get a, a screen replaced for like 100, 150 bucks now, but still it's like, oh. Man, it's a bummer, and now I'm like, but 150 bucks, I can still use it. You can't even tell it's cracked from here. But it's funny because I know I've used that illustration before. Like, why do you get so upset about that? Even though it's like, oh, it's just one of those little things that this world makes up. Like, this life's a grind. My phone's cracked. But a problem someone 50 years ago had no idea about, right? So, uh, also on Monday, I think it was Monday, long weeks go by fast. I think it was the same day where I got a call from a close friend, um, a young friend, he's in his 40s, close to 50, who he thinks it's likely he only has three to five years left to live, and he's got kids my age. Um, and then I got a text message from a client um, who she had taken time off of work to care for her aging father who'd passed, but now she's taking more time off of work because her son has ALS. Um, who most of you know, I have a close friend and his wife has ALS and she's progressing steadily. And like, hey, man, I did, I couldn't have told you what ALS was this time last year. I'd had to look it up. But now it's like, man, I hear that word. like, you are going through a lot, you know, because of the slow progressing disease that there's not, I, I'm not aware that there's any hope for reversing that once you get diagnosed with ALS. I'm not, so I honestly was like, man, what a bunch of really, really bad news to hit those people and people I care about. Um, I'll be honest, like, I don't walk away from those conversations that downtrodden. Um, and that's probably, at least partly, because I do lack a fully loving heart. Um, but honestly, I, I do hope and I think it's because I'm not surprised by any of that news here on this earth. Uh, I, I really expect this world to offer us death and disease on repeat, right? It's pressed on re it's pressed play and it's on repeat right now in this kingdom. And so I get that news. I'm like, I'm, I'm hurt for them. They're hurting. Um, but this is what the world gives us. It's never been any different. I've never had any conversation except on accepting with one high school boy who's like, nothing bad's ever happened to me. Um, I need to revisit with him because that was like 15 years ago. And I, I would like to ask him, like, hey, did anything bad ever happen to you? Uh, and I think what he did, he just had a standard of categorizing the things in his life. Anyway, that's a, for a different time. But this world, right? I, I'm not surprised by any of it. 
And I think we, a lot of us are trying to keep the balls in the air. And like, just don't drop. Like, just don't drop. Oh, no, this one's got sick. Or like, I'll hold this one over here while I'll juggle the rest over here until I can reinsert into, like, the regular juggling. And it's like, that, like, they will fall. Even the people who say, I can keep it organized. I can keep life in perspective. It's like, well, then death waits, whether it's at age 1, 30, 50, or 120. Death waits. And the smartest people in the world right now who have all the scientific knowledge, they're still trying to solve the problem of death, of which we see can't be solved. And even if they figure out how to get it from age 120 to 140, as the longest that humans live in this age, it's like, well, okay, you want another 20 years? And right now, at 120, I don't want another 20 years, right? I'd much rather have a really full, you know, whatever it is, um, than barely get around, but I'm still alive. Um, so that's what I expect. And that's what I'd tell you to expect. If you all have a different perspective, like by all means, let me know. But that's what I expect. Um, and that's why I'm so, so happy to have the hope and promises of Christ. Because he, he looks into that abyss of darkness, into that kingdom. And he's like, I've got a fire hose of light and truth and just fires right into the heart of it. Whatever Satan has conjured up to depress us and distress us, here he comes, like, it's almost like you don't stand a chance, darkness, against the full force of light, truth, life, and love. And that is what Jesus is. Even though we've often epitomized Jesus as uh, these four walls, right? And me being obedient to, to his laws and his ways. It's like, wrong picture. <laughs> Jesus is coming directly for the attacks on your heart, any distress, anxiety you felt. That's where he's coming from. And so today, the glimpse of that we get in Luke chapter 13, going through Luke's gospel slowly. I admit, I'm kind of, a, I'm so thankful to go through solely uh, because I enjoy it a lot. It's kind of like a kid who just makes it, just one more minute, one more hour, like just five more minutes, mom. That's kind of the way I'm treating Luke's gospel. Like, hey, just five more minutes. Let's not rush through this. I don't know where Ken and I are going to teach from next, but I'm, I'm not expected to be quite as fun as Luke's gospel, so. Because um, we're probably going to the Old Testament like, oh, that's like running a marathon. <laughs> so we'll, we'll take some time in Luke's gospel here. Uh, I wanted to show you a clip from a fantastic movie it's been years since I've watched it. But now my kids are old enough. I'm like, oh, let's, let's get back into this and let's listen to the books before we watch the movies. So this is The Hobbit. And this is a scene from The Hobbit where they've escaped the goblins. And so just take it in for what it's worth. Um, volume and then hopefully you can see it here. All right, so not a perfect analogy of Christ, but you can see a lot of themes there. And the main question there uh, is, why did you come back? Because you could have left the whole time. They don't trust Bilbo, although he's a sort of, of savior for them, because of what we find out, they can't complete their mission to take their home back from the dragon's mouth without him. And... Yet they doubt him. Like, you're, you can really help us. Um, we need to do things, you know, on our own without you. Uh, and there's just all sorts of themes in the whole Hobbit and Lord of the Rings uh, story. But there, you can see, like, Bilbo signed on to their group, their mission, to help them, like, to ac accomplish it. But they just didn't trust him. And... Ultimately, I thought of that clip after thinking of this scripture, and so you'll see how well I do of connecting the two, but it's always fun to watch The Hobbit, regardless. Uh, so this is Luke chapter 13, 
This is the last little bit here in verses 31 through 35. Um, and we come off of just talking about the doors on last week. And it says this, at that very same, at that very hour, these came and said to Jesus, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Jesus said, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, the house is forsaken. I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, so, in that little bit, uh, there's there's two things going on. Number one, it says, hey, Jesus, the Pharisees, main uh, antagonists in, in this gospel so far, saying, get out of here or you'll die. Uh, and it's Herod that's going to kill you. So, just a little background on Herod, because we hear that name, and a lot of people who've gone to church their whole life and heard these stories have confusions about Herod, including me. Of like, let me get this straight, and having to ask Google, uh, is this, you know, is this which Herod is this? Because there was six actually Herods, six different Herods in the gospel. So if you didn't know exactly who Herod was, like, hey, he shows up in the Christmas story. Yeah, he shows up in the Easter story too. Is that right? So this Herod is not Herod the Great of the Christmas story who had all the uh, babies in Bethlehem murdered, right? This is Herod Antipas, and he, uh, if this. All the colored area was Herod the Great's domain uh, for a Rome, a basically a governor on behalf of Rome, right? All of this. Herod Antipas, he particularly controlled Galilee, that little red pink region there, and Perea right here. That's where his jurisdiction was. So Jesus, he grew up here in the north of Israel. This being Israel, here's down here's Egypt and Africa. You're over here in Fillmore, and this is Israel. Uh, so that's where, this is where Herod, he has his domain kind of through here. And Jesus spent a lot of time in that jurisdiction, right? And so Herod is of concern, something that matters, because if he ever tattletales to the Roman government, because that's often what those governors were, like, hey, just make sure people stay in check, keep this part of Rome peaceful for us. Jesus had to be aware of that. Pharisees are also had to be very aware of that because if the people get upset, they're going to lose their ability to worship and have their culture the way they want. Just keep the peace. So many people are worried about. Uh, so that is his domain. Over here, this is Pilate's domain, right? And that's where Jesus ends up coming into. Um, and then over here was uh, Herod the Great's other son, a brother of Herod Antipas, uh, Philip the Tetrarch, as I said, this is kind of his domain over here. Traconitis. Whatever. <laughs> so that's kind of the, the standard. And we said, okay, Herod is of concern because if he wanted to kill Jesus, he certainly could. None of these people, even though they're in authority, we find can act in whatever they, way they want. It's like the Pharisees. Like we said, the primary objective is to live life the way they want in balance and harmony with all the other cultures that are going on here. Why did the Pharisees not kill Jesus the first time he said something offensive to them? Because they were afraid of the people, right? 
In the same way, all these authorities, the Roman government is afraid of the people. Uh, like in A Bug's Life, which we watched as a family a couple weeks ago, the grasshoppers, even though they could snap any one ant uh, in half, could not just do whatever they want with the ants because if they figure out they're more powerful if they get all motivated together, then we've got a problem. And it's been the story of human history. And, and whatever you're afraid of with governments and American government, it's like, oh, just know that all this authority is very shifty sand in our world, including here. Um, and Jesus is fully aware of this, right? He is the one in control. Never doubt his control of the situation. If he needed to get away, he always did. <laughs> How's he going to get out of this one? Well, walked right through him, no problem. Um, he always did, knowing, and what we'll talk about in a bit, he had a specific mission that he could see very clearly. Maybe not knowing exactly how it played out. Um, I don't believe Jesus had perfect knowledge of how he was going to fulfill his calling from the Father. He points to the Father of having that perfect knowledge and him faithfully stepping in front of the steps in front of him. I think he had a lot of knowledge, but for him to have perfect knowledge, we see like, ah, that's probably not the case. But he kept walking faithfully as he walked from here and eventually is on his way to Jerusalem down here in Judea, where we know he has a mission. As we look at that scripture, right? It says, hey, I, yeah, tell Herod what he wants. Um, he can have it. What we find is that Herod actually probably wasn't so eager to kill him. This is probably the Pharisees saying, hey, we've tried to trap you in this area. You have really made it hard to trap you. We can't do what we want with you. So get out of here. Get out of here. You're going you're gonna to die by the authorities. Just get out of here. Move on. And that was probably the Pharisees' motivation of saying, Herod is looking to kill you. Because that is the same Herod that beheaded John the Baptist, which we find he also did not want to do, right? He would have rather, even though he was, John the Baptist was directly against Herod's way of living, taking his brother's wife for his own. It was actually Herodias, that lady, who said, let's kill John the Baptist. So we find Herod didn't fit the character that we see in him to say, I want to kill Jesus because he didn't want to kill John the Baptist. He thought maybe Jesus was a resurrection of John the Baptist because you see maybe he was superstitious, like, oh, is this the ghost haunting me? I didn't want that to happen. Uh, and then what we see is later when we get, when Jesus gets down here, Herod, even though this isn't his jurisdiction, he has a, a place, I got a place in Jerusalem I go to sometimes. He was down at his place, and that's when Pilate sent him to see Herod. And Herod could have killed him then, did he? No. Um, because he mostly wanted to see and be uh, stimulated by Jesus. He wanted to be see something cool. And so that doesn't line up with what we're seeing here. Like, Were you, guys, were you Pharisees really concerned that Jesus is going to die? No, it looks like they want to get him out of their region because he's disrupting their lives. He's taking what they appreciate, the comfort of what they know, and he's turning it upside down. So get out of here, man. And Jesus says, you can tell Herod and anyone else, they're like, I am. I am. Here's what I'm doing. I am healing. I'm casting out demons. And I'll do it today and I'll do it tomorrow. But there's a time where I'm going to move on. In fact, I, you're right. I do need to move on. But it's not because of that box, Herod. It's because I have a mission. I have things I've come to do. And as much as you might say, this next part of my mission, great, move out of our hair, get out of my life. It's actually just the beginning. And so that's what I'd like to focus on from this scripture. The two biblical truths for us, for you, for me, is number one, the desire for you. 
Um, you could say it's a desire and expresses a desire for Jerusalem, which might mean it's a desire for Abraham's family, like in the Old Testament. It's a desire for God's people, the Jews. But what we find is that I think it's much broader than that. It's a desire for his children to come home, of which he used the Jews, particularly to give us Jesus, so that all nations may know and come and be reunited to the Father, including people from Andrew County. Like, desire for you. And you might say, yeah, for this church, for this community, it's like, for you. Directly for you. If there was no one else sitting in Fillmore Christian, if I was speaking to myself, for me, for you, uh, and that is a desire for you. And then the second is the mission for you. That there's a clear purpose and vision for Jesus and what he's kind of saying, let's not get distracted. I am on a mission. I am man on mission. Uh, so first, focusing on the desire for you. I want to share a, a few scriptures with you. This is a few that I think just give us that picture of all of scripture uh, that say, this is true. Jesus, in the, uh, in the Luke 13 passage we just read, he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Um, and Jesus, I'm sure, doesn't mince words. He doesn't use more or less words than he probably needs to. And for him to show that, ah, oh, Jerusalem, how oh, long to gather you like a hen gathers its chicks. And that emotion we're seeing from him, like, oh, where does that come from? Is this, is this new? But we say, this is the story of all of Scripture. To us, And we go back to the Old Testament in Exodus um, and says, as he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So just the, the great judgment of God precursored with the loving compassion for his children, his people. Um, so that is about as far back as we can go in the second book of the Bible. And we see one of the most well-known verses in scripture, uh, John three sixteen and 17, for God so loved the world, I so love you, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And in any of these scriptures, a little exercise that hopefully would help you realize that you are the object of God's love is to replace those pronouns um, with like his uh, whoever with your name. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that if Wakefield believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his world in, son into the world to condemn Wakefield, um, but to save Wakefield through him. And you can do that with almost any of these verses I'm sharing. Um, and First Timothy, Paul's letter to Timothy, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, who wants Wakefield to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And then Peter, uh, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, with Wake, not wanting Wake, not wanting you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I want you is basically what we have on repeat in Scripture. If you go into other Scriptures, then you're like, well, this isn't so much showing us God's compassion, like, say, pushing out the people of the promised land in Canaan. It's like, okay, taking in that single context, it might be more difficult to see this theme come through. But if you read all of Scripture, and I highly encourage you, 
if you haven't read the whole of Scripture, uh, maybe not sitting down for the first time with your Bible, like, let me go page by page. But even in some resources we've used, like uh, the story uh, uh, and uh, the Sally Lloyd-Jones book, uh, what's it, The Story of God's Love for You, which is can be read in a weekend and gone through, like, the, everything I think is pointing to his mission to get you back into his name. But the problem we see is it's not a, it's not a simple solution because we are dire sinners. So it's, it's interesting. But for these verses are some of the best examples of the desires for you. He never had to create us. I don't know why God wasn't satisfied with just himself and the, the Trinity, the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Like, this is all I need, and I don't need, to, I don't need any of us. Um, but obviously, by our existence, it wasn't enough for him. He wanted us as a part of the story. You as a part of the story. It wasn't perfect without you, obviously. And as much as you might be beaten down like, oh, I am such a mess. I, I, what is my value? I've screwed up. I did this. I made this mistake. You, by your existence, are an important piece of this story. And his kingdom, I don't believe, is meant to be without his children, his creation. Uh, and so why that is, again, beyond my ability to explain, I'm not, I don't have his mind or his ways, but I don't think there's any doubt that you have value to him. So that leads us to Jesus saying, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and I, I am on my way. On my way to do what? Well, let's look at a few examples from scripture for this. In the Gospel of Mark, for even the Son of Man, Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and specifically to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm on my way to Jerusalem to give my life as a ransom. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I'm wandering the Israel, Israeli countryside to seek and save the lost. Um, Romans, for God demonstrates his own love for us. Why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm going to Jerusalem. Everybody's telling me they're going to kill me. I know. I know. And that's kind of the point. Jesus is basically crying. And, and finally, later, what we'll see in Luke chapter 19, for the Son of Man came and seek to save the lost. And so we get the picture of his mission. You, I want you so bad. And what am I willing to do? What's the father willing to do? The father says, I will have my only son begotten into the world. Merry Christmas. And then we celebrate Christmas. We're like, oh, how exciting. The angels and the shepherds and the wise men and the gifts. And it's exciting, but then it leaves you like, post-Christmas, still a baby. It still needs to be changed. And oh yeah, there's that murderous rampage in Bethlehem. Let's go to Egypt. I'm not excited to go to Egypt right now. Like, not a destination on my list. Let's go to Egypt uh, and then come back home to be a struggling, low-income family in the Middle East. Sounds like a great story. Like, Merry Christmas. You realize what Christmas wrought? Pretty much heartbreak and hard times. Until we get to the, the Gospels when Jesus is sorry, I'm starting my ministry. And so you see these scriptures like, hey, what's that mission? The mission right now is he's heading to Jerusalem. But we don't forsake the fact that most of the Gospels aren't just him leading to Jerusalem and his crucifixion. But it is showing us who he is up to that point. Because Jesus' mission is not complete without three things. 
Yes, the crucifixion on the cross, right? What happens? Why do we get so much recorded before that crucifixion? Because how are we to believe that this sacrifice is actually a, a worthy sacrifice to reunite the children of God with the perfect father? Because his life shows us he is who he says he is, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we have his life heading to Jerusalem for what he knows is his death. And then where Easter becomes not a tragic holiday of death, but it becomes a holiday of life and life forevermore for everyone who believes because of the resurrection. Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And where that gets so amazing is because it intersects with the desire for us, the desire for me that Jesus had, that the Father has and we sees. We see with the mission of Jesus to say, oh yeah, you say you love me so much, well then what have you done for me? Remember what I was talking about in this world? Like I've done, I've seen nothing in this world. Like, but it's only heartbreak, it's only pain. What have you done for me, God? Like, I am struggling down here. Like, I am on the edge of depression or I'm headlong into the valley of the shadow of death. Like, why would you allow my wife to die in front of me for my friend's case? Why would you give me a lung disease when I have three small children and only have three to five years to live? Why would you allow my spouse to do the things they've done to me and mistreat me? I'm supposed to be close to them. Why would you let my children be hurt like this? Why, 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 why? Because this is not your home. This has never been your home. And Jesus inserted into the world to say, remember, this isn't your home. The garden was good. It was perfect. But sin crept in. And once that did, we have to be separated because perfect, if it has any darkness in it at all, ceases to be perfect. Do you want perfection? Do you want paradise restored? Absolutely. So we do not want to water down the kingdom of God. We do not want anything less than the original garden back or the garden made full and known forever. Because if it's anything less than perfection, it's this world. It is what we already have of what we say. These days are tough. They are hard. They are a grind. And so how do we get perfection? We become perfect. No problem. We can become perfect. Great. Except you know you can't be perfect. You know you try to think of one thing. And just let me just focus on doing this one thing. And Can I do it perfectly? This one thing perfectly. And inevitably we can't. We fail over and over again. And it's actually worse than that. Because knowing that there's a perfect standard, like we just have to be perfect like Knowing that, then it adds a tremendous pressure to us where we know one misstep and all of a sudden we are disqualified. We've already made the missteps. We already know, but maybe we can somehow get it back together. And so, in Moses' day, we're presented with the ability and the path to be perfect. Just follow all of God's perfect laws. No problem, right? Except we don't even come close. Pharisees, the reason they had the power they had is they were the closest out of anybody to following those perfect laws. And Jesus pointed them like, hey, if you want any chance to be back with your Father in heaven for paradise, for the garden to be restored, just be better than them. And everybody knew like, oh, those guys, their lives stink. Like, <laughs> they do nothing but try to follow the law. And then Jesus comes and says, yep. And look, they are vipers. They're worse than trying to follow the law. They are the reason most people can't know the law because they're pointing to the law as a savior. I actually 
through um, a close friend, you know, sui recent suicide, um, not a close friend, but a friend's suicide, I got to talk with another uh, acquaintance of mine, call them acquaintances, and it was really insightful. Uh, this person was had his own story of depression and attempted suicide. He was actually in the life of the other friend who did take his life, and I such a random meeting, and I like I couldn't believe I just I'm not very quick to say look what the Lord has done like this this chance like oh I did step out in traffic because I tripped over here I'm not too quick to say those things because sometimes I get I get a little skeptical of my own belief and like ah, all right is that me being clumsy or was that God moving in me I don't know but in this case wow what a what a glimpse because this this friend um, sat in his office I went and visited and he told me about how his own attempted suicide. And he's like, you know what? I believe it wasn't me. I believe I, I wanted to be Christian, but I felt the weight of being unable to fulfill the Christ standard. And out of that, he says, it drove me mad. And I was ready to end it. And by the grace of God, he said, my sister found me before I could finish the job. And he's like, I am unbelievably thankful. He pointed, and he's the only one, I, I suspected this of my other friend, who, uh, the friend who committed suicide, to, he in a text message told a, an acquaintance, uh, I'm more of a closet Christian, right? Uh, somebody was like, yeah, I, I, I acknowledge Christ, but you probably can't tell. Um, and so, okay, interesting choice of words. This friend who'd survived his own attempted death, had said, I think that's what killed him. Um, because when you feel the pressure of trying to fulfill the righteous standard of being a Christian, as we call it today, but really it's just another example of fulfilling God's law, it's on you, that pressure is way too much for you to bear. And it leads to death. And it's, it, it, in my experience, it actually speeds death because you realize that weight just crashes down on you of a perfect righteousness and you don't come anywhere close and you will be exhausted and distressed and depressed by it until you are crushed, literally and figuratively. And I see that that might have been the case with my friend. I'm not there, not in the trainer's head, only God will know. But that closet Christian mentality, I think is exactly why Christ says in Revelation, if you were only either cold or hot, but this lukewarm stuff, where you're trying to fulfill the righteous requirement of God's law on your own, it's going to kill you. Like, ugh, it's, it's, it's going to make you, it's going to make me want to vomit you out. Because it's not the point. You were never able to fulfill my righteous requirement. That's why Jesus had to come. It's why Jesus has a mission. My love for you is so great that, great, here you go. Here's the perfect sacrifice. Be set free from the yoke of moral standards that you cannot keep. And instead, take on my son who died for you, who wants you to just have faith in him. I said, I said the gospel is complex, more complex than any of us know. But then the beauty of God is he made it simple for us. I have a mission. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, wake. Oh, John. Oh, Sarah. Like, I want you. And I know what I have to do to get you. It's like I have to go lay down my life. 
And in laying down my life to find, I give you life because I am the one who can pay that price of perfection and the sacrifice for perfection and then prove to you that that check cleared by raising from the dead. Where you can actually see, oh, it was death that paid the price, but it's actually death that leads to life. And in the same way, the gospel for you and I is a call to death. Now, are you called to literally die on a cross? No, I, there's none of that here in America right now um, to be crucified. Like, yep, just sign up, step up to your crucifixion, and you too may have heaven. No, but Jesus did say, figuratively speaking, yes. You want to follow me? Pick up your cross. You want to live? Then you must die. What does that mean? It means, what we were talking in Sunday school this morning, that narrow door isn't about like, ah, i got to be better than everybody else and get in the right line so I can fit through this door. It's like saying, you will never fit through the door. You're the wrong shape. The only shape that works is Jesus' shape. And so any part of you needs to die, be cut off until only Christ remains. Only Christ. That's the only way you get in. It's the only way you are reunited with the Father. Only Christ. So where does that leave me? I mean, you're like, oh, I'm trying to be a good dad, trying to be a good worker, trying to be a good community member or church member. It means that Wakefield has to continually die. And anytime Wake starts to puff up, he needs to be reminded, you have to die. And the word for that is repentance. Coming as humbly as you can. As God calls you to fall before him and realize you have nothing to offer. Even your good gifts are but minstrel rags, David said, the psalmist said. Dirty, nasty stuff that you're trying to present to God and instead say, leave them all behind, just give me you. Just believe in the one who has enough perfection for all of us. And then you will be free. Whatever the anxieties, cracked phones, ALS, cheating, death, and all the forms you've built, set free by Christ and Christ alone. It is the exactly what I see um, in this part of Luke 13. Oh, I want you, and I know what I have to do to get you. I am on my way to Jerusalem. I'm working now. I'm showing you that I can cure disease. I can cast out demons. I am that one. I am him. I am him, that I'm going to the cross, setting you all free. Even though the people reject him, as we saw with Frodo, I doubt that you can do what it takes. Or Bilbo Baggins. I doubt you can do what it takes. Well, it maybe takes a, a few examples of Christ's goodness, redemption. Like, I think he is who he said he was. I think he does have the power to die for my sins. I think it's as real as the hand in front of my face. This is my path to be reunited with the Father and for his kingdom come forever. And that's what allows me to take phone calls like I took from my friend who's probably going to be dead in a few years. That's what it takes to be able to sit with my other friend whose wife is dying before his eyes and say, there is still hope. This sucks. It's rough. And I don't say, shut up. There's hope. No, that's. So uh, that would be so careless and unloving because the reality is Jesus here also is lamenting, right? He's weak. He's like, oh, and that's what this world is. It's, oh, 
but we can know this is only the chapter that gets us to it. Ah, so good. And that's what's really waiting for us. That's way more real than any of this you're currently carrying, any of this anxiety. Way more real, way more long-lasting. And it comes through Christ and Christ alone. That's what I see in the scripture. You may see something differently of why we talk about it every Sunday at nine before worship. Uh, next Sunday, please let me know what you see, what you think. You're welcome to reach out to me beforehand. I'm like, hey, I see it this way. Great. I would love to know it because I think God uses the church. You may not see yourself as a Bible teacher, but if you're one who wants to know Christ, you are paying attention to his word. And we can use each other to know him better. And that's the design of our church family, right? So, if you have never repented of your sins, um, this may be God knocking on your heart like, yeah, whatever you're trying to bring for salvation, church attendance, or treating your neighbor well, it's going to leave you distressed and depressed. It's, it's lukewarm stuff. The only way to get hot is to die. Repent and die to yourself. You don't have it on your own. If you've never really figured out what that means, um, this might be God's Knock, knock, knock. I'm like, hey, it's time to stop trying on your own. And you can talk to me. You can talk to me. And we'd be happy to, all right, what, what's God telling you when you hear this? And you, and you see Jesus saying, I'm the one for you. I love you, and I'm the one for you to get you home to the Father. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your words. Thank you, Jesus, our Savior. Uh, being able to see in human form the full weight of glory um, and of the righteousness of our God in human form through Christ. Illuminate Christ in our lives. The spirit that he's now given us by being back home with you. Um, let it, let that spirit just get us to see things that we can't on our own. Uh, do your work within us, Father. And let us not be afraid. Conquer that fear that makes us afraid to answer your call and your knocking on our hearts. That You want us to be saved and we want to be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.